everybody and welcome to another empowering episode of Women in Confidence. I'm your host, Vanessa Murphy, and today I have an incredible guest who's made the journey from the corporate world to the flourishing entrepreneurship. Joining me on this episode is Jennifer Colbrook, a trailblazer who spent over a decade in the corporate world before deciding to pave her own way and step into the world of entrepreneurship and founding her own agency. So now she engages with business owners, helping them navigate the realms of social media and email marketing. And she also runs a thriving membership community, and she has her own podcast as well. Jennifer's journey is full of inspiration and lots of valuable insights, which I know she's going to share with you today. And I cannot wait for her to share her journey with you. So whether you're a corporate professional dreaming of starting your own venture or an existing entrepreneur just looking to level up your social media marketing game, this episode is a must listen. But before we dive in, I just want to take a moment to remind you to rate and review my podcast. Your feedback means the world to me, and it just helps me reach more amazing women like yourself who are seeking that regular dose of confidence. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram. That's at women underscore in underscore confidence underscore. I'm there if you find me for daily doses of motivation and empowerment. And speaking of podcasts, if you're a woman who is eager to share your voice and expertise with the world, and you are considering being a podcast guest, you won't want to miss the upcoming masterclass with my business, Boom Podcast Agency. And that's on September the 4th, and I'm offering an opportunity to learn the ropes of podcast guesting. So make sure you put that in your calendars. And if you want more details, head over to my website, www.boompodcast.agency. All right, so let's get on with this week's show and dive right into Jennifer Colbrook's fascinating journey and discover the secrets of her success in the world of entrepreneurship. Right, Jennifer, hello and welcome to Women in Confidence and thanks very much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having here. It's been exciting to connect across the globe. We were just chatting about our time zone difference here from Vancouver all the way to Australia. Yeah, we are literally in the opposite corners of the world, depending on how you see the globe, I guess. Yeah, we're quite a distance, but um, the beauty of the internet is that means that we can connect. So yeah, brilliant. Let's get on with this. So the confidence theme, I like to kick off with this question, Jennifer. So what does having confidence mean to you? I think it really means showing up authentically as yourself. Um, And I think it's especially hard being a woman or, or identifying as a woman because there's so many layers to that. You know, how do I feel confident? Is that showing up online as myself in person? How do I look and how do I dress and how do I sound? I think as women, we put so much pressure on ourselves in those ways. So I think when you can find a space that you feel good in, surrounded by people that support you and nurture you, that's really when your confidence comes to shine. And whether you're doing that in the, in the real world, I want to say, or online, like here we are connecting on Zoom. But when you find a space that just lets your light shine through, that's really where confidence comes through for me. So letting your light shine through, what's your strategy for doing that? Oh, gosh, for me personally, I think as I've gotten older, as a young child, teenager. I mean, I was super awkward growing up. I was pretty shy. I think people who know me now would never believe that because I'm I'm pretty talkative and outgoing, but that wasn't always the case. And I think for me, I had a lot of transition when I moved away for university and then kind of finally almost got to reinvent myself. And finally, I moved all the way across the country, actually, all the way to Vancouver. And I think sometimes having that place to start over where nobody knows you at all. And I think when I moved out to Vancouver, I'm originally from Ontario, Canada, I got to start over and like be this new person. And I felt like I didn't have anything holding me back for once. You know, when you're kind of maybe stuck in your hometown or where you're from, 
So when I moved to Vancouver with my partner at the time, now my husband, I just dove into these new things like hiking and outdoors and some of those things that I love about Vancouver. And that's really where I think I finally found myself. Like I finally was like, oh, this is great. I'm just doing the things I want to do without maybe the judgment or embarrassment of you know people and friends and family from back home. And I think the older you get, I have to admit the less I care about other people's maybe judgment or opinions of me. You know, as a teenager, you're so worried about what people think. And now as I'm approaching 40, saying that out loud, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really feel much more confident in my own skin, my own body and my own abilities to be like, I'm doing the best thing for me. And I know the people that really care about me and show up for me are going to believe that and everybody else that's okay that uh, I'm not your cup of tea, maybe. Mm. So when you moved out of your hometown and you made that move from Toronto or sorry, Ontario to Vancouver, and you talked about reinventing yourself and really making the most of these, these times, when you reinvented yourself, was it something that you were conscious about and deliberate about, or did it just evolve given that you were in a different environment, you were mixing with different people, you had the opportunity to say, go hiking, or was it something you were particularly intentional about? I think a little bit of both. I mean, I was in a new environment. I had new people. And when I first moved to Vancouver, we didn't know anybody. So apart from my partner at the time, like neither of us really had a social circle here. So sometimes you have to be a bit intentional about like, well, we got to try and make some friends. So we intentionally have to put yourself out there a bit. I joined a few organizations and it was a bit nerve wracking at the beginning to be like, well, I'm just going to join, uh, you know, a Toastmasters group and a volleyball team and just see how those things go and flow. And then some of it just happens, right? The more things you join and the more times you put yourself out there, the more things that kind of naturally evolve from that. So a little bit of both, but being in that new place where you kind of have to try new things because you don't have that ease of just falling back into your old habits and old ways and old friendships. Like we just had each other here and nobody else. And it was going to get really boring if we didn't make any friends outside the two of us here living in the city. And so did you move over the country for work? Was that the reason? I know you meant you were, you moved with your partner, but actually was it work related? No, not at all. Actually, we did the, uh, we were kind of chatting. We had both just graduated university. Uh, my husband's brother lives out here in Whistler. So, you know, he was interested in moving out here and I was like, sure, why not? We'll just drive the car across Canada uh, and we'll just see where we end up. We had no money, no jobs, nowhere to live. Um, and I was really like, well, this relationship's either going to work out or it's really going to burn and crash very quickly uh, because, you know, we're now going to have to move in together in a place where we don't know anybody else. And so I don't really know what encouraged me to take that leap of faith because I felt like at the time it was very out of my comfort zone to do something like that. But it was kind of just this rash decision to be like, well, what's the worst that could happen? I was like, the worst that could happen is at some point I have to get back in that car and I have to drive it back across the country and, and maybe come home with my tail between my legs and move back in with my parents for a little bit or, or something while I figure out the next you know stage. But luckily it's been 15 years and we're still here and now we're married. So, you know, it did, it did work out at least. Amazing. While you were talking about, you know, you, you had no money, you had no job to go to. There's something incredibly freeing about that. Um, you know, I'm sure it's not great, you know, for many, for many people, but I, it, it reminded me of when I was a lot younger in my probably early twenties, when I had no money, I could just do any job. And there's something very freeing about that. And then, um, you know, life can become quite serious. You know, you get jobs and responsibilities and kids and mortgages and all that sort of thing. How have you maintained that same sort of spirit that took you from one side of the country to the other? 
Oh gosh, that is a really good question. I feel like we did a really good job of that up to having kids. Um, you know, as we were talking earlier, we lived abroad for a number of years. So we lived in Australia doing the working holiday visa. That was an awesome adventure. Uh, and then we actually took an eight month honeymoon where we just backpacked through South America again with very little itinerary and just backpacked across. So we did a really good job of moving. We lived in Whistler for a number of years. Now I will say things have changed post kids. We, I think with kids now in our lives, our adventures look different. We try and keep up that adventurous spirit, but we're definitely not just like backpacking across foreign countries quite as easily with two young kids. But we do try and embrace the certainly the outdoor lifestyle that we have here um, on different types of adventures. In fact, I have a podcast called Get Outside with Kids, where we talk about getting outside with our kids, unsurprisingly, and what those adventures look like now. Uh, previous to kids, it was like, let's go backpacking for two nights uh, in the backcountry. And now it's like, let's go camping in the front country and go on some day hikes with our kids. Um, or let's take get our kids into skiing, you know, inbounds in a safe zone to learn for skiing so we can build up to some of those bigger adventures. I think on the flip side, the advantage of doing things with kids is it does make you slow down and appreciate those small adventures. You know, before kids, everything was like, what's the biggest hike we could possibly do today? Uh, let's hike for 12 hours and see how hard we can go. And now with kids, we're like, what's the hardest hike our four-year-olds can do today? <laughs> and that is a different hike. Um, and it's very hard for different reasons, but it makes you slow down and go to trails that we never would have done without kids. You know, uh, now we're doing trails that are more local, closer to home, trails that are obviously more accessible, and you're hiking them at a slower pace. Uh, you know, pre-kids, our whole goal with especially outside adventures was like, let's get to the peak as fast as we can. And, you know, you're running your way to the top. And with kids, you're like, well, let's slow down and let's look at the, the slug on the trail and let's stop and look at this water crossing and let's take a little side tour to go look at this cool tree stump. Um, so the adventures are different, but they're still adventures nonetheless. Yeah, lovely. So let's talk about your career. And I know that you have worked in corporate and then you set up your business, but I'd, I'd really like to hear it from your point of view. What did you do in the corporate and then what led to you leaving? Yeah, great question. Uh, I was very lucky that I had some amazing jobs here in the corporate world. I worked for a number of uh, large organizations here like uh, the Fairmont and other big brands. And each of those jobs kind of served a purpose at the time, I guess you could say, you know, I wanted to learn a new skill, meet new people. And so the jobs were all kind of stepping stones right up to my last job uh, that I had. And all, while all of those jobs were great, I'd always had this vision of running my own business, working for myself and having that, I'm putting freedom in quotes here, because uh, anyone who works for themselves know that freedom is a very loose term that you throw around. It's different than a nine to five, but there's certainly still things that apply. Um, and then one of the big factors was that because we don't have any family here, you know, we don't have grandparents who can watch the kids on a sick day or, or people who can come over and really support us that way. I knew that one parent was going to have to have a lot of flexibility in their job. Um, so that was something that I thought about well ahead of time. After I had my first child, I went back to the corporate world, as sometimes you do to keep the career moving forward. And then it was really when I had my second child that I was like, okay, this is it. Like, this is the time I really don't want to go back. By then I was already in a place where even though I worked for an amazing company, I had an amazing team and I had a wonderful boss, my job just didn't light me up anymore. And I think when you come to a place where I was like, on paper, I think this is the best job I could have. Like on paper, it ticked all of those traditional boxes, you know, and I still just, ugh, I just, I really didn't want to be away from it. And so for me as a parent, 
I always knew I wanted to work. Working for me was is the right choice for me, but it had to be something that lights me up enough to be away from my kids. You know, if I'm going to be away from my kids and I'm going to pay for daycare, then I really want to do something that fills my soul, fills my bucket, and that empowers me to help other business owners potentially do the same with their business. So during that second maternity leave, I basically went all in on my business. Maternity leave in Canada is anywhere between a year to 18 months, depending on where you're listening this to. Um, And so I had that time to really build the business, build the brand. Um, And then I didn't go back to my corporate job at the end of my maternity leave. They were very gracious about it. And so since then, it's been uh, building the business for the last almost three years now. Uh, And here we are. So when you said you always knew you wanted to run your own business and then in the maternity, second maternity leave, you know, you really crystallized that and really set it up. Did you know it was going to be around social media and email marketing or yeah, tell me how you came to the, the the business idea and really then focused in on what your business is. Yeah, good question. My original first career path was actually in public relations. Um, and a lot of public relations, the type of public relations I was in there was very event heavy. Like as in you're going to events and it's late nights and it's schmoozing. And that was super fun as like a young to mid 20 something person. But I kind of saw the writing on the wall, again, traditionally as a parent, as a mom, I'm like, I don't want to work evenings and weekends once I have kids. You know, I don't want to be out drinking until 2 a.m. at this amazing party as a 20-something, but that's not where I wanted to go. Um, At the same time, social media was opening up as its own career path. So when I first started, social media was like, oh, you're the PR person. Can you also manage the social media? Because it was this very small, separate piece and nobody knew what to do with it. And then, of course, as the years went on, this social media manager became an actual job on its own because now we actually had new channels and new ways of promoting And so I was actually applying for two jobs at the same time, a public relations job and a social media job. And I was like, I wonder where things will go. Um, And I didn't end up getting the public relations job and I did get the social media job. And then everything after that kind of led down more social media, more social media, more social media. And I knew it was a job that in theory, at least could be done from home. Um, And I was kind of always had that lens of like, well, if if I want to do this job from home, I need to be in an industry where for the most part, I can work from my laptop at home, which social media obviously lends itself to. Uh, The second piece that I I love about social media and that I knew from a business perspective would work is that social media keeps changing on us, you know, for better and for worse, Instagram, you know, just launched a new app last Mm -hmm. week at the time of this recording. So there was always going to be something to learn and something to teach or to support other business owners with. So I was like, certainly, hopefully, for at least a period of time, social media is going to be very relevant that other businesses will want to invest in. So if I can be at the forefront of that um, strategically, that should make for a good business. I'm really glad you brought up that Instagram brought out threads um, (laughs) fairly recently. I think you said last week, I can't remember now. Um, And it leads me really nicely into our conversation around social media. And threads was something I looked at and I was like, do I, don't I, I don't really know what it is. And I think that's a real crux of many people's challenges with social media is that do I ride on the trend or do I stick to the traditional? And then it also raises the question like, what is it? What's so different about, say, threads to all the other suite of active, uh, social media opportunities out there? So let's talk social media. I don't even know what my first question is because there's a hundred in my brain. But how can people get over the overwhelm of social media? And when I say overwhelm, all the different opportunities, all the brands, the 
videos and photos and text and oh tell me about it how do people get over that overwhelm <laughs> yeah no that's a really good question uh when i'm working with new clients i always distill it down into one thing you need to pick one thing one way one platform to communicate on as your primary platform And usually I throw it back to the client because they're like, well, which one's best for me? And usually I'm like, well, what do you like doing? Because you have to inherently like it or tolerate it at least a bit or completely pay to outsource it, right? Those are the only two options you have. So sometimes I have clients who like writing. Text is their preferred medium. And I'm like, great, if text is your preferred medium, your best channels are going to be Twitter, threads, or LinkedIn. And you've got a couple of options there to mix around. So that's where you want to play. If obviously your brand is more visual and you're into something like photography, well, that's going to be Instagram or Pinterest again, depending on that. And then of course, if we're talking video, well, is it long format video or short format video? If it's longer format, we're going to head over to YouTube. And if it's shorter format, we've got TikTok and we've got Instagram reels. So sometimes it's a bit of a flip of, you know, if you hate video and don't want to show up on video ever for your business, well, I don't want to recommend you a video strategy then let's look at something else that makes more sense. And then one channel. I always tell my clients, do one thing really well in your business. And that applies to your entire business and in actuality, you know, focus on perfecting one thing. So even though there's shiny new apps like Threads, for most businesses, Threads probably isn't going to be where you're going to show up in the short term. As a social media person, am I on Threads? Of course, I kind of have to be uh, because I need to keep up with that stuff. But learn from those who go ahead of you. So if you're on Instagram, stick with Instagram. I usually recommend setting up a connected account. So if branding is important to you, you kind of secure your brand handle, your brand name. But for the most part, simplify it down to one thing that you enjoy. And then even simplify that down further to be like, in an entire month, how much content do you really need to be sharing? Um, You know, what objectives do you have for your business? And for most business owners, I'm like, if you shared content three times a week, which would be 12 total posts a month, you know, give or take, That's probably more than enough than you need to be sharing. Um, And then really simplifying that down. I think where social media has gone, which is interesting, and Threads certainly has, is people are actually looking for less polished content over time. Like Instagram used to be, it still is arguably this place with like these beautiful photos and those still exist there. But I've actually seen the transition from Instagram being this like perfectly polished feed where every photo and every video was 100% on point and everything was looking great to with this much more nuanced, people just popping on with their video, very unpolished, kind of a rough cut, I want to call it, and really showing up as them. And I think that connects so much better with your audience when you can show up just as you. You're like, hey, this is three tips about this or something I just saw in the market or this has just happened, as opposed to this like polished brand video uh, that you're putting on your feed. So I always kind of challenge my clients to be like, what's the simplest possible message you could share today? Like, let's just simplify it out and start there. And don't overcomplicate the, the platform, the medium, or the message. Yeah, I really like that you say uh, that Instagram is moving less away from the polish because I'm on Instagram and I'm, there's nothing polished about any of my videos <laughs> at all. Normally it's me, I've just woken up and I've just had an idea pop into my head. So I apologize to everybody if you have to face my morning for the night look, but it's an idea that I've got and I'm like, I have to record this. And um, what's my next question? So, videos. So, I mean, I'm on I'm on a number of platforms for a number of different reasons. So, you know, I'm on LinkedIn for one reason, Instagram and TikTok. Videos, though, like many, many people, women and men, it doesn't really matter, are just terrified of doing videos. But that that is quite important for 
all those platforms. LinkedIn probably less so. What's what's your tip for just doing it and just you know mashing it, <laughs> whether you you know got makeup on or not? Yeah, I mean, I think my tip is just do it. Uh, most of the clients I work with are women in their forties, fifties, sixties, and beyond. And I always have to remind them like one, so Instagram came out oh my, at least 15 years ago now, don't quote me on the exact date, which also means we're also all 15 years older than when it first launched, right? So like, we're not all in our twenties and early thirties anymore. Like, you know, that core group, like we're all approaching 40 and 50 now too. So Instagram has aged up as we all unfortunately have. Um, and I think there's actually so much more market and so much more appetite for women of 40 plus, you know, because there, of course, is it full? Is there lots of younger 20 something women on Instagram? Of course there is, but that market is very saturated and they're all sharing the same message. Women who have lived a life and have experience to share and wisdom and knowledge. Like I think there's so much opportunity in that space to show up. Um, I have a few people that I always send my clients to look at. Um, one of them is Dr. Siggy. You know, she's listening in. She's very famous uh, Instagram. And I think she's got a podcast maybe as well. Uh, and I love her because she is a woman of an, of an older age. I won't speculate. Um, and she's just very simple. Her videos are literally her on camera, straightforward talking. There's no music. There's no dancing. There's no trends. None of that stuff, right? It's just her sharing its parenting tips, but really straightforward, well-spoken. That's it. No muss, no fuss, no fancy camera techniques. And it has amazing reviews. It just got great engagement in this great community. And so I love to show off people like her who are doing something really well, who aren't 20 something, who aren't, you know, doing the latest trending audio, um, but really good, simple and effective content. Um, so I, I think I want to, you know, if you're listening in and you're a woman of, of that age, like there's people out there who want to hear your message and more people than you think uh, more people who want to relate to someone else who looks like them, who thinks like them, who's had the life experience of them or the journey that they have been on, because you just have more to share. Like if I was 20 and doing this job, I, I wouldn't have as much to share because I would have been a lot newer. Now that I'm approaching 40 and doing this job, like I've seen some things. I have some life experience. I've got a couple of kids. I just have perhaps more insights to share that I hope is going to be relevant for my audience. So the older you are, I truly believe the more you have to share for your audience. So tell me about how to get, I mean, the term is viral, I guess, but just more than say one person watching your videos or your content. And I, you know, the, the terms algorithms come up and hashtags and all that sort of thing. And I ask probably personally, because I was on my um, TikTok account earlier and I've got one video that literally has one person has watched. I mean, thank you for watching it. I appreciate it. And then another one that's, you know, sort of got, 500. And I think what's gone on there. So talk to me about that. Okay. TikTok is an entirely different beast. Its algorithm is wild. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about Instagram because that's probably where mm. most of our listeners are. Um, a few tips overall. I mean, one consistency really is key. The more you show up, the more your audience is used to you showing up and kind of like priming that audience for you. When it comes to like the tactics of like, what do I actually need in the video? The most important thing is don't bury the lead, right? Like start, you know, old journalism kind of call back there. You need to start really quickly. I think our attention span is like two seconds these days. So if you don't kind of grab your user's attention, those first two seconds, then they're gone. So sometimes, and I know myself, you want to warm people up and you're telling the story. It's like, no, what you need to do is start your videos kind of, I want to say hot, like start them on a, I really want to share these three things that happened today and then walk it back and get into like unpacking the story. 
Um, sometimes, especially I think older women, you know, we want to share the story in the background, but I'm like, no, you got to cut that part first. It's almost like reverse, like just how you record the podcast, right? You're starting here and then you'll do the intro after <laughs> at the end. So think of your video content the same. You almost want to start right in the middle of the action and then go back and fill in the details. Um, same thing for text on the screen. I'm always mindful of anyone who's watching that they, a lot of people watch with sound off uh, for video content. So captions, if it's closed captions are best if you're speaking on video, of course, and then having text on the screen to guide the viewer along is going to be important. Um, and then that leads me to my third point, which is anticipation. Um, anytime your viewer can anticipate or wait for something that's coming on, that helps with your viewer retention time. So if I say like there's three tips to help your next video go viral, and then I get into them, hopefully I'm going to go one, match the text on the screen, two, match the text on the screen, three. Now, hopefully I've gotten to watch you to the end. Um, if you're someone who works in a more visual space, you might be like, wait for it before and after kind of photos. Um, and again, giving your audience something to anticipate. Um, but finally, a lot of it is experimentation, even my own videos. Some days you hit the trend, you hit the right thing and it goes great. Other days you don't, uh, but you don't really know that until you're showing up enough consistently in the space. So I never really judge my social media on like one post alone. I'm kind of looking holistically at like, how am I doing this week, this month? Am I growing overall? Are the trends going up? Because I have had some videos that I want to say went viral. Viral is probably the wrong word because they're still, you know, they're not millions of views, uh, but maybe there are more thousands of views than other videos, but they don't always have more engagement on them. So going viral isn't always the objective. What I really want to see is, did my video actually connect with somebody? Did it start a genuine conversation with somebody? Did it lead to any direct messages where somebody actually booked a consult with me? Uh, because that's actually the outcome of social media. Uh, for social media, if your outcome is actually sales or consults or you know signing people up for your podcast, that should really be what we're measuring and not necessarily just, you know did I go viral on TikTok and get more views on my next video? Now, let's also talk about email marketing, because I think social media is probably the sexy cousin and email marketing. I don't know, maybe Stina's not so sexy, but I know how important it is. But tell me how you guide your clients around email marketing and, and stress the importance of that. Yeah, I do love that. Social media is far sexier. Email seen as boring. Uh, but email from an, a strictly numbers perspective Email is where the money is. That's what I tell my clients. Like social media has kind of got the eyeballs and it's where you kind of maybe first bring people into your community or you're first connecting with people. And then email is that next step or should be that next step to bring people closer to your business. Uh, so for me on social media, my goal is to get you on social media. I have a free content calendar that I'm like, hey, would you like my free content calendar? And if you say yes, I will send it to you. And now you're on my newsletter list. Um, and so for email marketing, often I just break down the numbers and I show them the stats of what email marketing does. Um, so a good example would be an average Instagram post, let's say, is only shown between 10 to 30% of your audience, let's say at any given time. But my email open rate is anywhere between 40 to 50% every time I send an email. So from an open rate perspective, higher than my social media posts. And then if I go dollar for dollar, um, you know, promotion wise on an Instagram post versus the same promotion in email, people pay or sign up or book or, you know, whatever that is when it's on email. Um, and part of that, I think, is sometimes the different lens we read it in. You know, social media is typically primarily on your mobile device uh, versus email marketing is more of a split between mobile and desktop. And desktop's just a place where 
hopefully your audience has another moment to read your email slowly. It's sometimes easier to navigate a checkout cart on desktop as well, just depending on your audience's comfort with that. So anytime I compare those two side by side, I can be like, here's the email I sent. And then here were the immediate sales after here were the social media posts. And here were the sales after now, which one, which one do you want more of? And usually it's the email marketing piece. It sounds like you're really into the analytics and you know, I, I sort of dive in very, very gently into the analytics of my social media. But are you you must know all about those and what's good, what's bad. Yeah. I mean, you can tell by just talking to me, I'm probably a bit clueless about this stuff. So this podcast is all about me, clearly. <laughs> but, you know, talk to me about analytics because there's a lot you could get from them. But how much is too much? Oh, that's good. I just actually, we just actually talked about analytics in my membership this morning. Um, and I actually, I had a little like pop quiz for our members and I showed them a couple of posts side by side. And I said, now, which post do you think did better? Post A had a lot more reach on it. It was a real, I reached a lot of new people. Post B had more engagement on it, but I reached less people. And so I was like, now, which post would you want more of? Now it's a trick question because there wasn't a right or wrong answer here, of course. Um, and so for analytics, I'm like, I want both. Actually, I want to create some content for me where the objective is reaching new people. Cause I do need to reach new people to grow my audience. Typically the type of content I use to reach new people isn't always as engaging. Sometimes it is. Sometimes I really hit the nail on the head and it can be both viral and engaging, but typically it's not typically it's lighter. It's fluffier. It's more introductory level content. So I'm aiming for reach and that's my goal metric. With other types of content, typically when I'm posting a carousel on Instagram, it's a lot more informative. I want to do a deep dive on an educational journey for someone. So I'm expecting there to be more comments, more shares, more saves on that type of content, but I typically don't reach as many people. So I'm looking at balancing both of those stats out. If all I have is reach and no engagement, that maybe doesn't help me in the long run because I want people to engage. But if all I have is engagement and no reach, then I'm not growing my audience. So in a given month, I'm balancing those two figures. Overall, I do like to see that people have a typical engagement rate that is growing with their page. Um, lots of big brands, and I love to show my clients this, you know, they have 100,000 followers and everyone's like, that's the dream. And I'm like, but is it the dream? Um, because it's actually really hard to get a lot of good engagement when you have a really big brand. Typically, their engagement is less than 1% on any given post. And then if you're a smaller account, um, you might have less total engagement, but your engagement percentage is actually way higher, which actually means a lot of people who see your content actually take the time to engage, which is great. That's actually what we want to happen. So it's kind of framing some of those analytics for where you are in your business. Like, do we need more reach and do we need more growth? Or do we need to dive down and making sure that the followers you already have are actually connecting with the content you're creating? And so by engagement, do you mean they click on it, they watch to the end, they might click on a link, that sort of thing? Yeah, any type of interaction. So likes, comments, shares, saves, watching the video, clicking a link, all of that is great stuff. <laughs> Okay. So what sort of client comes to you, Jennifer, and who do you tend to serve or help? Great question. Yeah, I work with that. Uh, typically, it's female-owned businesses. Inside my membership and inside my small business packages, it's typically newer business owners, probably one to three years of business. Um, everyone's keen to kind of start on social media, like, I'll make some posts on social media. Um, and then somewhere along the way, they might realize like, it would probably be helpful if they had a strategy and a plan, maybe an audit of their social media channels. Um, I really feel for any business owner who's not in marketing as their primary business, because marketing is like this whole piece you have to learn. 
and you know, outside of your entire business that you had to learn, you know, I have the benefit of running a marketing business. So I don't have to learn a separate, you know, goods made business or have to learn about shipping. I just have to learn about marketing, which is, you know, actually a lot easier. Uh, so typically a lot of those clients come to me because they're like, I need a plan. I've been posting and it's not working, or maybe they've got a launch coming up. Um, I'd work a lot with service providers in the coaching space and the health and wellness space, or, uh, you know, in, in the local kind of business space to where I am here in Vancouver. Um, on the flip side though, I do have the, the pleasure of working with a lot of great corporate clients as well. Uh, with my corporate background, I, I kind of know how to, I guess, how to play both sides. A lot of my corporate clients sometimes have to have a plan or an objective or a marketing plan that they can sell to their uh, C-suite level. So having been inside the corporate sphere for 10 years and doing all of that, I know what those words need to be and how we need what we need to say so that their team can actually get it approved. So I love my corporate clients as well because I feel for them because I have been that marketing team, uh, you know, working on different objectives, trying to get things done as well. Yeah. Do you find that you can transfer your knowledge between the two? Because the, I imagine the goal of, say, a corporate big entity is probably quite different to, say, a small one person business owner. But do you find that you can transfer that experience and knowledge between the two, even though they are quite different? Oh, yeah, exactly. I actually say they're more similar than they are different. Um, they're the same problems. They're sometimes just the different scale of problems or different scale of solutions. Um, and often bigger enterprises that I've worked with, sometimes quite large enterprises, don't have a social media person at all. Um, sometimes social media is still an undervalued profession or an undervalued job role, even in this day and age where they might have a marketing person or a marketing team, but the social media is being kind of managed off the side of somebody's desk. And so sometimes my pitch is to come in and be like, hey, you know, this is why we need to ramp up the social media or why you need to get a person in-house because there are these opportunities that you're missing out on. How so you've already talked about you have your business, you have your membership, you mentioned, you've got your podcast. How do you make it all work and also give you the time to have your adventures and to spend time with your kids? That is a really great question. And honestly, I think it's day by day and week by week. You know, sometimes people ask, like, how do you get it all done? And you're like, well, I'm not getting it all done. I get certain things done certain days, you know, and some weeks or some days are more focused on work and long days at work. And other days are more focused on kid time and family time. Um, the reality of being a business owner is work in some sense never really ends. Um, I have the, the privilege of like today, like I said before, we're going to go to the beach right after this and I can, you know, end my workday here at four o'clock uh, Pacific time. Uh, but I probably will jump back on tonight and wrap up a few emails and do a few things before, you know, before I go to bed. And weekends can kind of be the same. There's some weekends where last weekend I was away camping at a beautiful campsite, no cell reception, amazing for three days. Uh, this weekend, though, I'll be around in town and I'll probably do a little bit of work in the afternoons when my kids are having some quiet time and probably a little bit in the evening. So it really is. I'm not sure there is a perfect strategy. Um, some days are more productive than others as well. I, I think there's a big misconception that as a business owner, you're like, I will just work so productively all day, every day. And it really doesn't happen like that. Like some days you have these great flow states and you can work for hours and other days, you know, the sun is shining and you're really distracted by, by doing things. A lot of it's time blocking and being really mindful with my time. Um, I use this cool app called a web application called Focus Mate. Um, and it's like body doubling. So you actually join a Zoom call with somebody else for 50 minutes um, and you just work. And it sounds weird and kind of creepy. You're like, why are you on Zoom <laughs> with a random stranger? 
but it holds me accountable. It holds me accountable to be like head down for 50 minutes. I'm going to do this one task or, you know, I'm going to write this one uh, project brief. Um, and it's really effective. It's strange, but effective. So finding the tools that work for you are important. However, that is for you if you're a business owner and being realistic with your time. Everything takes longer than you think it will. And from business perspectives, like updating your website, those things take longer. But sometimes the work that you do, I'm like, if I just spent five minutes without distraction, I would actually get this done. So it's a bit of both world. And I'm not sure I found the perfect balance yet. It's really a day by day and week by week. But it sounds like you have got the, you've got it. You might not have the perfect balance, but you certainly got balance. And I think that's a nirvana for many people is how do I get that balance so that I can enjoy all the aspects of my life that I'm focusing on at that particular time. So it does sound like you've got a great balance there and you sound very relaxed, which is beautiful to hear. So um, Jennifer, how can people find you and your business? Awesome. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram. I'm at social with Jen, J-E-N. Um, and my website is mountaintopconsulting.ca for Canada. Um, you can find my packages there and learn more about me and my membership and all that is there as well. Um, and if you have questions about social media or email marketing, just send me a message and I'd love to chat. Cool. And I'll put all those links in the show notes and also put a link to that app you use where you spend time with someone on Zoom because that whole sort of ri- there's a rise of um, these companies now doing these sort of working groups where you don't actually speak to each other (laughs) you just sit and be with each other um digitally so i'll put also the link to the one that you mentioned as well well listen jen jennifer just before we wrap up then what's your one piece of advice to women to bring it back to confidence um and you can bring it back in whatever way you want what's your one piece of advice for women who are looking to build their confidence i think with the social media piece you know just rip it off like a band-aid start small but believe that there is somebody out there who needs to hear your message. Um, And honestly, we're all too busy judging ourselves to judge somebody else. I truly believe that we're all so hard on ourselves that I don't have time to judge another person, nor do I want to. So if you're doubting yourself, like, I think what if your message could reach one person today, one person to that one view you had on TikTok, but what if that one person that that message really impacted them deeply? What if they got a hold of you? What if you changed the course of their trajectory with somebody? So don't hold your message uh, and your wisdom back because people out there need to hear it. Yeah, thank you so much. And also thank you for being on the show and I hope you enjoy your time at the beach. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Vanessa. It's been great to be here.